Jesus, thank you so much for loving us and dying on the cross for our sin. Lord, I thank you so much that uh, the way to heaven and the way to have heaven and the Holy Spirit brought into our own hearts is made clear by your word that it's by faith alone that we can uh, just trust what you did and believe it and, um, and accept your Holy Spirit into our heart and life, that you send it to whoever would ask. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, even though we are flawed and even though we are sinners. Lord, you are so loving. And we thank you for all these things, and we thank you for each person here and uh, for the trials in our life. We give you thanks that you care enough about us to prepare us um, and to change us and to cause us to learn how to trust and grow in you. Amen. 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 Never an overnight success is what it's called today. So we've been going through the book of Genesis, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we have been in it now for 52 weeks, which is a year, right? Is that, is that a year? 52? 50? Okay. So this is one year, our like one year anniversary of being in the book of Genesis. So how about that? And we're, we're, we're doing pretty good, I think. We're, doing, we're averaging about a chapter a week right now. We're in chapter 41, so uh, we're cruising on up. Again, after we finish the book of Genesis, we're going to do the seven letters to the seven books, uh, the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. Yeah. That'll be pretty fun. So we'll do seven weeks on each of those. And after that, I don't know. So you just have to wait and see. It's pretty exciting. Uh, but as we've been going through Genesis, we have seen God teach us many, many things. And right now we're in this part where, where Joseph is in prison. And he's about to become the ruler of the entire world. That, spoiler alert, that's what happens by the end of today. So as, as that process happens, we can get tempted to think that he is an overnight success. Romans 8.28 is a very important verse for every Christian to know, have memorized. If you're into tattoos, I encourage you, get it tattooed on you. It says, and we know that what? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for everything in our lives. God has a purpose for everything in our lives. Do you believe that? Yes. Wow. That's really a struggle for a lot of people, though. And maybe you answered with a more hesitant, yeah. <laughs> I kind of believe that. It, it's easy when we think about other people. Oh, I'm sorry, you had to grow up with poor or in an abusive, with abusive parents. God had a purpose for that, brother, sister. I'm sorry you had to be hurt or had to be sick or lost a family member. God has a purpose for that. But what about when it's difficult to believe that, when we are going through the trial? That's when the uh, rubber meets the road, right? What about when you are broken or disrespected or face death, disease, or poverty or shame? Does God have a purpose for everything then? It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where the line is drawn in our soul, in our heart. It's where we find out what we truly believe in the inner chambers of our heart. This inner trusting of God and committing to do what's right in his eyes is called character. Everyone look to your neighbor and say, 
character is important. I said, say it, don't spray it, right? <laughs> D.L. Moody was a great uh, preacher, and he said, character is who you are in the dark. Who you are in the dark. Character is not made in crisis. It's only exhibited. It's never made in crisis. Uh, Henry Wingblade used to say that uh, character is hidden deep inside us. It's unseen, like soup carried in a bowl high above a waiter's head. No one knows what's inside unless the waiter is bumped and trips. Just so, people don't know what's inside until we've been bumped. It, but if Christ is living inside, what spills out is the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to give you a little story of how this happened. When I was growing up, we were going to buy this awesome four-wheel drive vehicle because I grew up up in the, at my mom's house was way up past Idaho Springs, St. Mary's Glacier area, way up higher than 10,000 feet. We had land up there. But to get in in the winter, you had to have a burly four-wheel drive vehicle. So we were debating between getting a, uh, now I was like 12, 13 at this time, uh, like a Hummer. Those new Hummers were brand new. Like you could actually buy a, a Hummer and a Range Rover. And so those were like the two best four-wheel drives. So we wanted to get one of these. So we went to test drive them. So we go out to Medved, you know, out on I-70, you know. And uh, we, they, they had a, a Hummer test track that they would take us on. And so we got in the Hummer, and the guy's like, okay, we're going to go in this test track. Now it's going to look scary, but you're, all, you're, in, you're in a Hummer. So this is an awesome vehicle you're going to be safe no matter what you think, okay? So we start going like over some bumps and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then we go up this big hill that's like seriously like this. And he's like, now just, just trust me. This is, and they go up it. And I'm like leaning all the way back, falling out of my chair. And then we go down. I'm falling up front. It was so crazy. And you would think, um, why would they make it so such a crazy obstacle course with big rocks and, and mud and all this stuff. They were doing that so that they could show off the capabilities of this Hummer, right? They wouldn't just take you in a parking lot and say, okay, let's go. In the smooth, the Hummer doesn't really perform all that well, right? But anything, I mean, grocery carts work in parking lots. <laughs> and they want to differentiate their product from a grocery cart, so what they do is they put it through this very extreme test. And I want you guys to think of yourselves like that Hummer, that God has made your life crazy because he's doing a work in your heart of character that he is showing off to the world. And when you fail, I understand, that, and God understands that too, and he says, well, back to work. And he just starts back in working on our hearts and more trials will come, and these trials are not... I mean, we see the big hill in front of us, and we're like, why, God? Why do we have this challenge in front of us? Why? And God says, don't worry about it. I'm with you, and I'm doing this all for a purpose and a reason. Character is never made overnight. It's formed by a living connection with God and not us trying to just become full of character. Nobody ever just 
decides to have character. It is developed by a living connection with God. It's actually the very life of Jesus just living inside you. See, we're born without character. What child was ever born and said, no, mother, you feed yourself first? (laughs) Never. We must have the life of Jesus implanted into us. And that happens, the Bible says, by faith. You spend time with him and you believe his word. It's like a tree growing a healthy root system by which it can produce good fruit in the right season. That's how that works, that relationship with Jesus. Now, trees do not grow overnight. And if you do have a tree show up in your yard overnight, don't eat its fruit. It is probably poisoned in some genetically modified horror movie tree. (laughs) Our character is the invisible foundation for our souls. It is never imitation. Character is never imitation. You can't fake it. Jesus is not primarily our example, but he is our life source. That's the difference between faking being a Christian and truly being a Christian. When you're faking it, you're saying, well, Jesus was loving, so I should be loving. Jesus was kind, so I should be kind. So really you're telling me you're just going to imitate him. Well, that will fail because what's inside of you is not the same as what was inside of him. But to actually have him be your life source, you abide in him, trusting his word and spending time with him, and he produces that godly like, godlikeness and, and righteous living. He produces it in our hearts and in our lives. And so you just start to act righteous, and you didn't even try. And that's how the whole work of grace happens in our life. We must understand that that is what Christianity is, not imitation, life source. It's not legalism, follow these rules. It's grace, live by his power. It's very important for us to make those distinctions every day in our life because the temptation is always to go back to the rules. Always, what, have I, what could I do today to become more godly, more Christ-like? There's one thing to do. And what is it? Spend time with Jesus, believing his word. That's the only thing you can do to grow this character inside you. C.S. Lewis, great author, said, Surely what a man does when he is taken off guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness did not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me ill-tempered. It only shows what an ill-tempered man I am. That's where we most often see our character is when someone treats you poorly. When you're shocked by an offense. Don't you dare talk to me like that. It's what we do. Well, Joseph, we, that's all our introduction. Joseph, he has been provoked and provoked and provoked. He has spent years, he is now 30 years old, The last 13 years, he's been in prison and a slave. He's been falsely accused of an affair with Potiphar's wife. He's endured um, so much, probably torture, probably lots of bad things. 
okay? He has been provoked, yet God has been with him and been developing this invisible, internal character inside him. And this is what we see now in chapter 41, verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by a river, and suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up uh, uh, on one stalk, plump and good. Then, behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads had devoured the seven plump heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. So Joseph has been continuing to serve the people in the jail. As we studied last week, he was just serving them, serving the jailer, serving Potiphar even still, because it was the jail was in his house for these two years, and he's been continuing to just grow in his character, just trust in the Lord. And from the outside, it looked hopeless. At Anchor Groups, did you guys talk about hope? Yeah. We went through, <laughs> went through Jeremiah or Lamentations, talking about Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter 3. But from the outside, his situation, Joseph here, it looked like hopeless. From the outside, it looked like God had forgotten him or, or given up on him or, or was just cruel. Yet Joseph trusted and served God anyway, not to get out of prison, but because he loved God. He, in his mind, did not think he would ever get out of prison. He didn't have that as a possibility on his radar. Yet he's willing to serve God in the situation he was in, even though it was difficult. Not to get anything out of God, but because it was the right thing to do. And here's a lesson for struggling marriages. Or if you're struggling at your job, but specifically I'm thinking of marriages. Love your spouse when it's difficult. Because it's the right thing to do. It's tough, but it honors God. Love your spouse. Not to change them, but to love them. Love them when they don't deserve it. Forgive them when they don't ask. It's really between you and God anyway. You promised God to love them when you got married. You promised God. And this is very important for us to have marriages that just blossom and bloom to honor God here in this church. It's going to take us to die to ourselves and to be loving spouses when we don't feel like it. Because our spouses are not perfect. And there will be many days in our marriages, which you guys already know, I'm sure, that are not comfortable, that are not what you would want to do. And it takes a death to self to do that. Well, Joseph is doing that. Pharaoh has these two dreams, you know, two kind of witnesses about his situation. Yet he doesn't understand the meaning of these two dreams. God is trying to get through something to him but he doesn't understand, okay? So let's go on, verse eight. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. 
Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each he interpreted according to his own dream, and, he ca and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. So first, in this little story, we see that Pharaoh recognizes his own need. God has revealed something to him, but Pharaoh knows things are not right in his spirit. He is troubled, it says, in his spirit. And he recognizes this. And so... He goes to the only help that he knows for his soul, for his spirit. Where does he go? To the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt. But they can't help, right? Because they are not able to minister to his soul. They're willing. They all do their absolute best. But they can't minister to his soul. They have good intentions, but not appropriate resources. We cannot go to men for things that only God can help with, which is anything related to the soul. God made your soul. He knows how it works. I had a very interesting week this week. I researched soul. Okay, so the word psyche is what we, uh, the term you get, psychology, comes from the word psyche. It means soul, all right? Well, up until the, eight, the late 1800s when Freud came on the scene, it meant <clears throat> the eternal soul. But when he came on the scene in the late 1890s, he divided it to mean two things. One was soul, and the other was mind, will, and emotions, okay? He divided these two things, and so in German, they're still all one word. I forget the word. I was looking at it this week as I was studying on Wikipedia. Um, and it, it's, it, it, they divided these words that shouldn't be divided. The word psyche for 1,900 years from Jesus until like 1,900 meant the, the internal soul, the etern eternal internal soul along with the mind, will, and emotions. It was all very linked together as one. And God, and, and when someone needed ministry in their soul, they went to God and his word. But when Freud came along the scene, he said, no, 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 no. There can be, maybe there's that eternal part. We don't know about that. But what we do know is the mind that we can experiment on and we can do all these things. And his idea of doing that caused a, a horrible direction for the, the entire world to go down. Where they think that they can fix people's mind without God's help. And so really what you have now is all these magicians and wise men in our world are out there, but they're called psychologists. And it's really, really tough to have this conversation because it comes down to a very basic belief. You either believe that God is the only one that can help your soul, or you believe that man can help your soul. 
And the Bible is full of a claim saying God is the only one that can help your soul. And yet man says, no, 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 no. We can assist too. And we have to say, which one am I going to believe? Which one am I going to believe? God has a purpose for all of these struggles, trials, and bad things that happen in our life. That's what we're talking about. Well, when you have a worldly perspective, trials and suffering are only to be avoided. There is no purpose or reason. They are in the way of human development. Human development is all about happiness and comfort and progress. There is no reason for suffering and trials when it comes to humanistic, worldly psychology viewpoints. Okay, All suffering is bad when it comes to that. What we say is suffering isn't bad, isn't, isn't good. God, I mean, we're not like, hey, let's just all line up to suffer. But we say suffering is valuable. It has a purpose. It, it creates character in our hearts, causes us to trust in the Lord, and see his power in our life. Okay, so this is where these go vastly different directions. And we see it right here. Pharaoh only has the world, and he goes to them, and they're not able to help. Where do we go? When you have a bad day, what do you go to? Good answers. The baker has just been watching all this go down, and now the Lord reminds him of how he was ministered to and served by Joseph in a supernatural way. See, one of God's people ministered to his soul in a supernatural way, a miracle. That's what God says, I, I can offer to your soul miraculous, supernatural healing through my son, Jesus Christ. It can happen, and I offer it to you. Are you going to believe it, and are you going to receive it? Are you going to depend? Because to receive it, you have to like depend all on it. You have to drink the entire medicine, as it were. Drink it all down, all Jesus, that's it. Well, you never know how serving a child or, or, or a broken life might affect the world later. Joseph, he was in prison. He was serving another prisoner. He didn't know that this was going to change the entire world. But Joseph was willing to serve this broken prisoner. So first, Pharaoh recognizes his need. We see the spiritual need. Second, it seems like all of this is happening so quickly for Joseph. Uh, all of a sudden, he's rising out of obscurity. He shaves, which is embarrassing. Uh, but as we've seen, this is the time appointed by God for Joseph. He's about uh, 30 years old. Actually, he's exactly 30 years old. Do you think there's a reason for that? We'll get to that a little bit later. God has been developing the character of his man for these 30 years, and now he's ready to show him off. This is awesome. So when God is taking his time, just, just draw near to Jesus. Do you guys ever feel like God is taking his sweet time with you in your life? Why is my husband still this way? Why am I still at this job? Why, why is God taking his sweet time? It's a, it's a key for us to abide with Christ in those times. Spend time in the word, worship him, 
and trust him in those times. Spend time absorbing his own character into your heart because it's the only needful thing when the time comes for the Lord to act. That's all that he is waiting for, is for the character to be developed. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he says, all right, how can you meet my spiritual need? How can you meet my spiritual need? Well, Joseph, after 30 years of training, has only one response in his heart. He doesn't have to worry about what the correct answer is. He's fully convinced of the truth. I can't. I am nothing. God is everything. Now, it took 30 years to break Joseph to the point where he would admit that. I am nothing. God is everything. How long is it going to take you to get to that point? Because if you're a child of God, you will get to that point where you're willing and the only answer in your heart is to say, I'm nothing, God is everything. How long are you going to resist that? How long are you going to hold on saying, no, I got plans. I know what I have to do in this life. I know what I want to get out of this life and I know what I'm going to do to get it. How long are we going to resist and not surrender to the Lord's control in our life? He knows how to break us, doesn't he? he? Some people, it takes 30 years. And, Joseph has been like the most godly guy we've ever seen in the Bible, okay? And it took him this, this long to develop that kind of character. What is he going to have to do to break us? Why not just run to him and trust now? Fall on our knees now with the help of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you control my life. I'm going to come to you in your word and learn your will for my life, and I'm going to do what you want from me. Joseph says to Pharaoh, I am nothing, God is everything, and he loves you, and he will give you what you need. He loves you, and he's going to give you what you need. All I can do is lead you to him and share what I know about his love and grace. That's all I can do, Pharaoh. The thought of taking credit for this gift of interpreting dreams didn't even cross Joseph's mind. This rebellious, prideful attitude had been purged and pruned through years of suffering and trials. That's what had happened in Joseph's life. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of a river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I has never seen in the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known what they had, that they had eaten them. They were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up from one stalk, full and good. Behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. 
So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows, which came up after them, are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arrive, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated of to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So God gives Joseph the interpretation, the interpretation and all the lessons so neatly packaged for Pharaoh. Just real easy for him to understand. God proves a bunch of things with this interpretation. Let me just run through kind of a list of things that he proves. God proves that he is the one responsible for the message. God says, I'm the one who sent you these dreams. I'm the one who's trying to get a hold of your life. I'm the one responsible for this interruption into your daily programming. He can do that, can't he? God proves that he is the one who sent Joseph and blessed Joseph with this miraculous ability to reveal hidden things. God says, I have, not not only can I interrupt your life, I can send my people into your life at very specific times with, the, with magical gifts to help you understand what's going on. God proves that he's in charge of all things, even the weather and the rain. These are things Pharaoh needed to know. God loved Pharaoh, and he needed Pharaoh to know, I'm the one in charge of your stupid rain, not the alligator's or the Ra, or whatever dumb gods you worship. It's me. And I'm willing to send you my guy to miraculously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt your life, I'm going to send you my guy, and I'm going to show you what you need to know that I'm in charge of this whole stuff. It proves that he holds the future. That he's in charge of the storms that are going to come into your life. And he's willing to bring those storms into your life for very specific reasons. And it proves that he cares about Pharaoh. He really cares about this. So Joseph becomes to Pharaoh a messenger of love and trouble at the same time. He's telling Pharaoh, man, God loves you. He wants to communicate to you and give you a blessing, give you direction and encouragement and wisdom, yet trouble at the same time. That's a very interesting place to be in for Joseph. And for all witnesses of Jesus Christ as well. Because we have to say, God loves you so much. And if you reject him, you're going to hell. That's love and trouble all at the same time. And people choose to focus on one or the other when both are very accurate and very important for us to understand. We have to have truth in everything we say. Well, do you think Joseph had been praying for Pharaoh? All those years, 
in prison. God is developing a godly heart in Joseph. I bet, this is conjecture, but I think he was. I think he had a real heart for the country he was living in. I bet he prayed that they would get saved and, and that they would learn about the Lord that Joseph knew. That, that's only natural that you would have that heart if you're having God's heart implanted in you, God's character. You're going to care about the people around you. Joseph was speaking in Egyptian every day. He's, that's all the people he saw. I'm sure Joseph was praying for them. And I bet for Joseph, this is a miraculous answer to prayer. And he's so excited. Don't you love when you get an answer to prayer? We've had so many answers to prayer over the past two weeks in our church. And they're going to continue because God answers prayer. And it's so amazing. Look at verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land in the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So now Joseph's gift of administration, which we've seen many times in his life so far, this administrative gift is shining through. Even though he's had to wait for his big opportunity, God's reason for giving him this gift is finally revealed. Do you ever feel like you're wasting time with the gifts that you know God has given you? Continue to wait on the Lord, and it will be revealed at the right time. When I was 12, I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and I knew that God had given me the gift of teaching. I didn't know how I knew. I just knew. <laughs> In high school, I tried to teach some Bible studies. It didn't go well. <laughs> and through, in Bible college a little bit, I taught some Bible studies, and ah, it just wasn't God's time, right? And then afterwards, he did place me in a church, and I did start teaching, and and as a youth pastor, and it went very well, and it was God's time at that point. But then he still had more work to do in my life, so I went through a time not in ministry with great suffering so that he could continue to refine. And there were many days in that where I was like, I have the gift of teaching, but I'm never going to teach in church again. I fully believed that. But I had surrendered it to the Lord, and in his own time, he brought it to where I'm being used in that way now, and I'm so blessed. And it's just waiting upon the Lord. I'm, it, it, that's what you got to do. When, you're, when you know you have a gift, but you have to wait, continue to wait and see the Lord use it at the right time in the right way. Because you don't want to force it. It just seems weird. When you force it and you're like, ah, I'm supposed to be. <laughs> a lot of times in churches, people will come up and be like, I think I'm supposed to teach. You know, give me your pulpit so, you, so I can teach your church. And pa it happens to Pastor Ed all the time. And he's like, all right, well, go change diapers for six months and then talk to me after that. You know, because he, he has to weed those guys out because he has to see, is this really the Lord's work in your life? Let's make sure some trials come into your life so that we know that this has been developed and it's from the Lord. You see how that makes sense? You can test things from the Lord. All right, well, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Hey, can we find such a one as this man in whom is the Spirit of God? So they recognize that Joseph has the Holy Spirit 
upon him. Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. (laughs) You can underline that. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paaneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Pati Pharaoh, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So we see the Spirit of God is, was with Joseph, was in Joseph. Does that remind you of someone? Jesus, right? We see Zephath Paneah is the new name that Pharaoh gives to Joseph. Now that means God speaks and he lives. God speaks and he lives, which means kind of for us, God's word and life. Now, it makes sense that he would give that name to Joseph. He had given him God's word through the interpretation of the dream. He had brought life to the land of Egypt. But does that remind you someone? God's word and God's very life? Jesus, absolutely. Asenath is a pagan Gentile bride for Joseph. Joined in holy union with God's word and God's life. Does that remind you of someone? The church of Jesus Christ. A Gentile bride for God's son. Amazing. Well, we're going to see even more about that in just a few minutes. So Joseph was 30 years old. Huh, does that remind you of someone? When he stood before Pharaoh the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of all the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. And he laid in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And two Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil in my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be more fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph, as Joseph had said, the famine was in the, all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says, you do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. 
and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. So his first son's name was Manasseh. And he says, for God has made me forget my toil in my father's house. And, this name, and the name of the second was Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So there's this idea of forgetfulness and then fruitfulness that, come in, that, that Joseph says is the main story of his life, and that's why he names his kids that. So what he's saying is that God has changed my suffering into fruitfulness. That is the main lesson of his life, Joseph wants us to know. God will change your suffering into fruitfulness. And that's exactly what he's done. That, exact, that is exactly what he does all the time. He never wastes anything. Suffering for Christians is always profitable. And why do we argue so much about it? Why do we complain so much? It is always good. I, I get it. Nobody wants to suffer. And, and we're supposed to comfort one another when we're in suffering, and we're supposed to love one another, make it easy for... I mean, we're supposed to be that loving arm of encouragement for each other. But we have to know that underneath it all, there's this underlying foundation that suffering is good for the church, for God's people. It is. The church is never more healthy than when it's persecuted by the government. Yet we think the war to fight is by making the government like us. And I think sometimes we would be so much happier if the government just said, we hate you and we're going to kill you. We would be so much more full of simple trust in God and his word. So keep those things in mind. It is never Pointless for a Christian to suffer. Have you ever thought there is no point to this suffering? My boss is just a jerk. My spouse is just mean. My kids are just crazy. There is no point. There is a point. There is always fruitfulness that comes out of suffering in a Christian's life, even if you can't see it. And Joseph's children teach us this. He said, God will make you forget how bad it was because of the fruit that comes later. It's so crazy. And it's in those times of suffering that we just have to hold on. Hold on to Jesus Christ and the comfort of his character that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Hold on to him. Abide in him. And he'll make it worth it. He makes it worth it. In my suffering in my life, I, I don't even remember hardly how horrible it was. I mean, I can think about it and make myself... But in my life, my heart is healed. My heart is joyful. My nickname for my wife is my joy because that's what she is in my life. That's everything she encompasses for me is just the joy that God has brought into my life, the fruitfulness after a time of suffering in my life. So far in the book of Genesis, we have seen Joseph is this amazing picture of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I made a list. And I, I'm going to share with you guys this list of all the ways so far, not all of them, but a lot of the ways so far that we've seen Joseph pictures Jesus Christ. And as we're going through this list, just think about, in your mind, how amazing Jesus is and how amazing God is that he would give us 
this character reference for Jesus 3,000 years before Jesus was born. He gives us, hey, you want to know what the Messiah is like? He's just like Joseph. In fact, his dad's going to be named Joseph. Ha <laughs> ha! Amazing. So check this out. He was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd, right? Jesus is the great shepherd. Joseph was loved by his father. Well, we see that's very clear in Jesus' life. Joseph was only interested in his father's business and kingdom. Same as Jesus. Joseph was sent unto his brethren. He was hated by his brothers. He prophesied of coming glory, his coming glory. He rejoiced, or excuse me, he was rejected by his brothers. He was in, endured unjust punishment from his brothers. He was sentenced to the pit. He was delivered to the pit through a leader, uh, though a leader knew that he should go free. He was sold for pieces of silver. He was handed over to the Gentiles. He was regarded as dead, but raised up out of the pit. He went to Egypt. He was made to be a servant. He was tempted severely, but did not sin. He was falsely accused. He made no defense when he was falsely accused. He was cast into prison and numbered with sinners and criminals. He endured unjust punishment from Gentiles. He was associated with two criminals. One was pardoned and one was not. We associate the butler with, and his, with his wine and the baker with the, the bread. Along, with, uh, along the same line, some think of that three-day period before their case is resolved as the three days before the resurrection of Jesus. They both show compassion. They both brought a message of deliverance while in prison. They wanted to be remembered. They were shown to have divine wisdom. They were recognized as having the Spirit of God. They were betrayed by friends, glorified after humility, honored by Gentiles while still despised or forgotten by his brothers, given a Gentile bride, was 30 years old when they began their life's work, became to the whole world bread, became the only source of bread. I just said that. <laughs> Blessed the whole world with bread. The world was instructed to go to him and do whatever he said to do. Given the name, God speaks and he lives. And lastly, they go out into the whole world. These are just all the different things I kind of recognized as our, as our parallel between Joseph and Jesus Christ. And what happens when we see Jesus Christ show up on the pages of the Old Testament? We're blessed. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you, you think that in them you have life. But what you miss, he told the Pharisees, is that they are the scriptures that testify of me. So when you find Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament, what, ha what that means is that God is speaking to you, that you have figured it out. That's what it's all about, is finding Jesus, looking for Jesus, and then coming to Jesus. So we have worshiped Jesus today. We have gone to his word and we've studied and we have searched for Jesus and we have found him. 
and now we're going to come to him. And that's what we do with communion, is we come to him and we do what he asks, which is remember what he has done. Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what he did. So what did you do this week? You messed up. So did I. What did he do? He was faithful every moment, this week and in his life. So what do we need? His faithfulness inside us, implanted in us by faith. Again, this is not magic. It is faith, faithful working of God. When you come in faith, he responds by putting his life, his very spirit inside you. So we come now, we pray. We're going to sing a couple songs. During these songs, you just get up at your own convenience and come down and, and get the, the bread and the juice and, and take communion by yourself because this is a very individual thing between you and God. He knows if you're faking it. If you're faking it, just don't. He, all things are naked and open before the Lord. He knows everything. So just come to him in sincerity and truth uh, during these songs and, and uh, let it be a real thing between you and him. And if this is a brand new thing for you, if you have never really been real with God or, or received Jesus as your Savior, you can simply do that right now by saying, Lord, I need you and I believe that you were the sacrifice for my sins. And, and I'm, I trust that you're going to do in me whatever you've said you're going to do. And I commit my life to following you. You're my bread. Jesus, we thank you so much for being our Savior, being our Lord and Father, for implanting your very message and word into, uh, and the message of Jesus and the Messiah into all these pages in the book of Genesis. Lord, we, we commit uh, to you our lives, and we trust that you um, love us and that you have been the sacrifice that we need. And Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and truth as you, as you desire. Lord, in spirit, with the very uh, character of Jesus being created in our hearts. We need that so much. Lord, our character is, is <sighs> defiled by sin. We've, we've all grown selfish and cold. And Lord, we need the warmth and gentleness of our Savior to to change us. Lord, I thank you so much for your body that was given to us to, to pay the price and be broken for our sin. And we thank you for the blood, the picture of that new life given to us that just springs up in our hearts as a well that never runs dry. And we thank you, God, for shining a light on our lives clearly through the scriptures. Lord, we can know that we've if we've been selfish, the Holy Spirit has shown us. If we've been trusting in our own self or in the world's way and philosophies, Lord, you reveal that. And we run back to you like the prodigal son. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.